Before I get to my next guest, Hal Sutton, I want to talk to you about our new friends over at Adele Golf. Have you been custom fit for your putter or even for your wedges? Adele Golf is the industry leader in scoring club fitting. Their putter fitting system is the most complete putter fitting system in golf. The EAS line of putters can get your putting dialed in. Also check out their swing match system wedges with weight adjustability to make sure your wedges are truly fit to your swing. Go to AdeleGolf.com and schedule your fitting today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs have just released their new Spring and Summer 22 collections with fun, new, and exciting prints like the Freedom 2 and 3, Santa Fe, Tigers, Zebras, and Duckies. And their new exclusive Folds of Honor collection, where they donate 20% of all Folds of Honor sales proceeds to that cause. The patented Joey Pouch technology delivers maximum comfort, fit, and performance while preventing any unwanted skin-on-skin contact or chafing. Good for anything from the golf course, to the boardroom, to the bedroom. You can find these two underperformance briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, all PGA Tour superstores, Golf Galaxy, Dillard's, and other fine retailers near you. You can also order them online at twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R.com. Two Under, performance in your pants. Use code NEXTT20, that's N-X-T-T-E-E-20, for a 20% discount on the Two Under website. All right, now back with me and making his seventh appearance here on Next on the T is PGA Tour legend Hal Sutton. Hal's a great follow on Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, at Hal Sutton Golf and through his own podcast, Be the Right Club Today, which is absolutely fantastic, folks. You can watch and subscribe to it on YouTube and on a number of podcasting sites like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For those of you who haven't joined me before when Hal has been a part of the show and may not remember how great a career Hal has had so far, let me remind you about some of his accomplishments. His college golf at Centenary. He was named the 1980 Golf College Player of the Year. He won 14 times during his college career. He was a two-time All-American, and he led Centenary to the NCAA Tournament. He was a two-time Trans-American Athletic Conference Player of the Year. He won the 1980 U.S. Amateur Championship, turned pro the next year in 81, won for the first time on the PGA Tour at the 1982 Walt Disney World Classic. And that year, he was named the Tour's Rookie of the Year. 1983, he was named the PGA Player of the Year after winning the Players' Championship and the PGA Championship. 1998, he won the Tour Championship right here in Atlanta. In 2000, he won the Players' Championship for a second time, this time by one stroke over Tiger Woods. Captained the 2004 U.S. Ryder Cup team. Backed up his 14 wins in college with 14 more on the PGA Tour. Finished second 18 times. He has 135 top 10s and 239 top 25s. And like I say, how Hal Sutton is not in the World Golf Hall of Fame is a huge mystery to me. But it's a thrill. He is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Hal, how are you, my friend? I'm good, Chris. And uh, how are you? (laughs) I'm fantastic, thank you. Better now that you're on the show. It's great to hear your voice again. Catch us up. What's been going on with you? Uh, just working, just trying to help people get better at the game we all love. Uh, it's, it's a mystery to most of us. You know, sometimes we think we've, we've got it. And most of the time we know we don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. 
Talk about your show. Talk about Be the Right Club today. Every time I turn around, you've got another great player or instructor on your show. You've had so many great guests over the last six or eight months. Talk about uh, your show and who you've had on recently. Uh, well, Be the Right Club today, when we were trying to decide on how we were going to format uh, the show, you know, there's so many people that do things on current events and uh, you know, we, we really want to help people become better players. And that's really the format of Be the Right Club today. Anything that we can do to add value to the person that's sitting out there that wants to get better at golf. That's been what we've tried to do. And, you know, here lately we've had Hale Irwin and Tom Watson on and, and we had a guy named Raymond Pryor, uh, who is, one of the smartest guys I've ever talked to on golf. So everybody out there, if you have not uh, heard of Raymond Pryor, Google him. Uh, I was sitting on the end of my seat while he was talking the whole time. You know, I'm sitting here trying to figure out how a guy, he's young, he's in his mid-30s, you know. It took me 40 years to learn some of the stuff he was talking about. And um, really impressed with uh, Raymond. But anyway, uh, we've had some great guests on, and it's not about what happened today most of the time, uh, but it's it's about how to get better. You mentioned Tom Watson coming on, and I love that episode. I've watched it a couple of times, and you and Tom have something in common that isn't golf. Remind our listeners what the two of you have in common that's not on the golf course. Well, he and I both rode cutting horses. I I rode them long before he did, but uh, his wife Hillary had bought one of our horses uh, and did extremely well on it. And Tom participated a little bit, but he watched her more than he did himself uh, actually participate. And uh, she passed away a couple of years ago, and uh, Tom just decided he was going to start riding more. And he texted me kind of the end of last year, and he said, I just want you to know, I finally passed you in career earnings on uh, uh, cutting horses. And, you know, we're talking $50,000, and we did it, you know, $200 at a time. <laughs> and the entry <laughs> fee usually $500 or something like that. So I texted him back real quick and said, so how much did it cost? financially to pass me on that money. <laughs> he said, let's not talk about that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it, it, you know, one of the things that I'll say about a cutting horse, nothing moves faster underneath you than a cutting horse. It is, you know, I've had fast cars, uh, but nothing moves as fast as one of these horses under you. So it's exciting to ride one. Hal, you guys also talked about his 2009 Open Championship and what probably would have been the greatest victory in golf history. As I remember back in his second shot on 18, you guys talked about that. and It wasn't a bad shot. It just took a bad bounce and might have caught a little wind. Um, talk about your conversation with him about how close he came to, what, like I say, what would have been the greatest win ever. Yeah, well, you know, Tom is a fairly humble guy. I, I told him that I thought he was the, the best player for the longest period of time that golf has ever known. And he would not accept that. 
And I, I alluded to the fact that he almost won the British Open at 60 years old. And he said, yeah, I hit as good a shot as I could hit. I hit the exact shot I was wanting to hit. And it just didn't work out. And, you know, probably if, you know, he, I don't think he actually admitted this, but probably he wishes he would have chipped the shot instead of putted. He's one of the best chippers and pitchers of the ball that ever lived. But he decided to putt the ball and he ended up not getting it close and made five and, and had to go into a playoff. But, uh, you know, Tom, uh, that would have been the greatest victory of all time, probably, to win the British Open at 60 years old. And that's how close. We're splitting hairs out there a lot of times. You know, you know, I got asked a thousand times, you know, had you ever said be the right club today? And no, I had never said that. It was just I had the perfect yardage. I knew I'd hit the shot exactly right. The only thing that could happen is an unknown. You know, we, we try to control all the factors when you're out there trying to play. But there are uncontrollable things that we have no control over that could strip us of our dream. And, uh, you know, in his case, it stripped him of his dream there. Hal, I want to get your thoughts on the Players' Championship, starting with the weather challenges that we saw, all the rain and the incredible wind that we saw on Saturday. Is TPC Sawgrass the scariest course you have to play when the winds are blowing like that? Well, any Pete Dye, Pete Dye golf course is. He he builds pretty precise landing targets, and uh, you know he's. You're looking at a bullseye all the time with him, and you better make sure you hit the bullseye. And when you get the elements involved, high winds and things like that, it makes it really tough. And you know one of the things that. Uh, made it tough there is they're playing with lower spin balls now, which helps in high wind, but it also, they're going at everything hard all the time. And they very seldom throttle down. And the way you keep the ball lower and to keep it from rising is pull too much club and just throttle back. And you don't see a PGA Tour player do that much anymore. We used to have to do that all the time. But uh, seldomly do they do that. You know, in the academy, we have kids come in all the time, and they're trying to hit every club that they got as hard as they can hit it. And I tell all the kids all the time, I was forced into having to swing it hard. Today, it's every kid's choice to swing at it hard. And uh, it's just a different game now. When there's high winds, you really need to go at it easier. How, for many reasons, I thought of you yesterday watching the final round of the players. Kevin Kisner tweeted out a video of his tee shot on 17 where he went you know, right for the flag, and he said, scared money doesn't make money. What do you think of Cam's performance, in particular his tee shot on 17, which, after we talked last year, a far cry from what we saw Lee Westwood do on 17 in last year's tournament? Well... <laughs> little different situation. Cam was in the lead when that happened, and Lee Westwood was behind and trying to catch the lead. Cam is a very young man, and Lee Westwood was looking at his last opportunity, most likely. So completely different set of circumstances. Uh, 
you know, Cam said that he actually pushed that ball. He wasn't really trying to hit it over there. And, uh, you know, I was screaming at the TV when he gets to 18 and he's got a three-shot lead and he pulls out a driver. Uh, I'm sorry. We could never talk that into a smart play. Uh, if I'd have been his caddy, he and I would have had an argument right there. $3.6 <laughs> million. You got a three, you got a three shot lead, five iron, five iron, pitching wedge, two putt, win by two. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, at that point, he's made 10 birdies already on the day. He's got nothing left to prove. All he can do is lose something. And damn if he didn't almost do that. Yeah, well, and I, I said the same thing at the top of the show with Tom Patrick. I, I sort of felt like Phil Mickelson at Wingfoot in 2006 when, when Cam pulled the driver. I, I was sort of yelling, doing the same thing to his caddy, like, take the driver out of his hand, snap it over your knee, hand him a three-wood, and let's go. Like, I, right. to me, I just I, he'd already duck-hooked one on 16 that he put in the pine straw. And then he had already driven two in the water on 18 and, and two of the final three or previous three rounds. I don't, I don't understand the thought process. Well, uh, we'll never figure that out. And I, I'm not sure why he did. Uh, and, and we'll never know whether he actually tell us the deep reasoning for that, you know, but, uh, it, fortunately for him, it worked out. Uh, you know, Paul Casey, which, uh, I want to go back to 16. I thought Paul Casey showed as much class as he could possibly show because that ball rolled into that pitch mark and left it impossible for him to go for the green when he really needed to go for the green. And, you know, I watched him shake his head one time in disgust, but I never saw anything after that that said anything other than let's go finish this round. And my hat's off to him because that would have been a very frustrating moment right there. What I was, the point I was going to make is he hit three wood on 18 and he had 205 yards. And for most of those guys, that's a five iron. And, you know, that would have been a simple play for, uh, Cam to have, uh, made, but he chose not to do that. And, you know, I'm going to make one more comment too. What most people don't realize, we watch Keegan Bradley chip it into the water. From underneath that tree, we watched Cam Smith do the exact same thing. The left side of that fairway, when you're trying to get it as close to the green as you can, is running away from you at the water. That's typical Pete Dye. Those are little subtleties that are always in his golf courses that you've got to plan on. And, you know, both of them hit it in the water, and it cost both of them a whole – well, it didn't cost Cam, but it cost Keegan Bradley a whole lot of money to do that. How you obviously won that tournament 17 years apart. Is this your favorite time of year because of the great memories and you get to look back on it? Or do you know there's going to be a bunch of guys like me asking you the same questions about beating Tiger and everything else? And we're asking you the same question over and over for 21 years now. Well, Chris, I'm just going to say this. I am so happy that you get to ask me that question <laughs> over and over again because that meant that I did it a long time ago. And you know, What's really funny is it, it is faint in the memory banks. It's, it's a, I can't believe all the time that has passed. Uh, you know, the, the game of golf has changed so much and, uh, just, you know, I'll never forget one time. I, this is a, a great story for all your listeners to hear. 
I had the pleasure of working with Byron Nelson early in my career. And my rookie year, I finished 11th on the money list, made like $245,000. He called me on the phone. He said, Hal, why don't you come over to Preston Trails and hit balls with me? I want to watch you hit a few balls. I said, okay, Mr. Nelson, I'll come over. So I went over and he, as usual, he'd watch me hit balls for about 30 minutes. And then he'd say, let's go in and have lunch. We go in to have lunch. And, uh, we sat down, and I noticed there's some big tears running down his cheek. And I said, Mr. Nelson, what's wrong? He said, nothing, Al. He said, I'm just thinking about all the money you won this year. Finished 11th on the money list, $245,000, and that's more money than I made in my entire career. Wow. And my immediate reaction was, I'm sorry. He said, oh, no, no, don't be sorry. He said, I feel like I had something to do with your golf game and something to do with the tour as well. And I think that's appropriate for me to tell that story right now because, you know, the game passes a lot of us by, and all we have is our memories. And, you know, with all the big saga of this Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson and all the the stuff about a secondary tour, you know, the platform in which everybody knows about Tiger Woods and Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson is called the PGA Tour, and I never wanted to bite the hand that fed me, especially when that hand was responsible for more money than all three of the other major sports put together to charity, by a long shot, I might add. How do you improve upon that? couple more before I let you go, but I, I actually want to ask you about your first Players' Championship victory in 83. John Cook, who's become a great friend of the show, he led that golf tournament after the second and third rounds. You trail by four going into the final round. Talk about the 69 that you shot in that final round, which was the second best round of the day back then. Well, it was kind of a windy day. It wasn't as windy as the day they experienced the other day, but it was pretty hard wind. I had to hit eight iron into 18, I mean, into uh, 17. And I started it at the center of the green, and the wind moved it all the way over by the flag. So it was a tough day. It was one. I mean, the wind separates players. And, uh, you know, I was known as a better wind player than a lot of the guys because I hit it pretty low. And, uh, you know, I'd wake up in the morning and see the wind blowing, and it's like, oh, this is great. And a lot of guys wake up in the morning, and this is great for all the young people out there to listen to. You know, wind is a separator. Learn how to play in the wind because few people really know how to play into the wind. So if you learn how to do it, you've got an advantage over everybody else. And then when you wake up and see the wind blowing, you'll be like, oh, I've got an advantage today. How one more before I let you go. But one of the things that you talk about wind there, but most of us see the trouble when we're on a, when we get to a golf hole that's got water or trees or whatever. Obviously a lot of that we at the players championship on 17 and eight, but we focus on as amateurs. Ooh, I don't want to hit it over there. How do we do a better job in our mental approach not to see the trouble and where we don't want to hit the ball, but do a better job of focusing where we do want it to land? Well, that's the $64,000 question, but I always tried to look at the bullseye where I wanted to go and tried to see less of anything else. Uh, but that's the old, uh, is your glass half empty or half full, so to speak? 
Um, you know, are you looking for trouble? Are you looking for the, uh, the promised land? And, you know, I always tried to look right where I wanted to hit it, tried to see as little of anything else. I tried to reduce the size of my world instead of make my world big. You know, the truth is you get up on the 18th tee at TPC and there's all that water to the left and PDI is known for doing things that draw your eye to it. You must be committed to only looking where you want to go because there's plenty of other things out there to look at. Reduce the size of your world. How one more. And, uh, we're all looking ahead now to Augusta National. You played there many times, including finishing 10th in 2000. We always hear that it's a second shot golf course and to be in contention, you got to know where to hit those shots on the greens. Is that accurate? And did, did you play practice rounds and try to get into some of the, the, the strategy from legends like Jack or Gary or Mr. Player or, or Mr. Palmer? Any of those guys to try to help you when you first started playing Augusta National to figure out how am I going to get around this golf course and have a chance to win? Well, uh, I'd love to tell you I knew how to play Augusta National, but I played there 18 times in my career, and it's unfortunate that 10th is the best I was ever able to do. I'm not sure I ever figured out how to play Augusta. I was always known as a really good iron player, but I think I put too much pressure on my irons to get it close and short-sided myself there too much. Um, I think uh, they've turned it into bombers have a better chance there than an average hitter. And one of the things that TPC does, I think, puts a medium-range hitter into the forefront because the bombers can't hit their driver into the tight areas that Pete Dye leaves there, like on 14 and 5, and I could name a bunch of them, 18, for instance, really gets tight for the bomber down there. So uh, at Augusta, it's opposite to that. The further you hit it, the better opportunity you got. Now, before I let you go, remind our listeners again how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing with your podcast, uh, your golf academy, and how they can follow you on social media as well. Well, it's Hal Sutton Golf on Twitter. It's uh, Hal Sutton Golf Academy. We've got a website there. And uh, it's Be the Right Club Today podcast. And prior to me being on, I heard you say YouTube and Spotify and Apple. You can find that Be the Right Club Today on all those. So uh, love you, Chris. You, you're the kindest guy in golf to all of us golfers. I heard the end of Billy there talking about how you respect everybody so much, and I couldn't agree with that more. It makes all of us feel great. You, you're always saying kind things about everybody. So we, we really appreciate you, Chris. Well, I can't thank you enough for that, Hal. You know how much I care about you and, the, and your peers. You guys mean a great deal to me. You mean the world to me. I can't thank you enough for all the times you've been a part of the show and taking time out of your busy schedule to come back again tonight. You're the best, my friend. Well, always glad to. Thanks, Chris. Take care, Hal. Stay safe. All the best to you okay. and your family. Look forward to catching up soon. Okay. Bye-bye. That's a great Hal Sutton, folks. Um, and I'm sincere when I say he should be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. How a guy that is as decorated as Hal Sutton isn't in the World Golf Hall of Fame is a complete mystery and, and in my opinion, a travesty uh, for the World Golf Hall of Fame. To overlook a guy that 
won 14 times in college, won a U.S. Amateur, won 14 times on the tour, won two players' championships and a 1983 PGA championship, and then has continued to do great things through instruction. I'm shaking my head, folks. Should be in the World Golf Hall of Fame. I'll take that to my grave if uh, if it doesn't happen, but uh, we will certainly be lobbying hard for him to do that. And again, be the right club today. You know the phrase. And uh, his, his uh, podcast is absolutely fantastic. Chase Cooper uh, is his co-host. They do a great job, and they have a lot of great guests. So be sure to go check that out and subscribe as well. 